Thank you, John. If you have uh, been with us over the past couple weeks, uh, you know that we are in the middle of a uh, kind of a, a different type study where we're not going through a book of the Bible, but we're doing what we have called uh, Church 101. So we're going through um, uh, different subjects, um, uh, different structures within our church, um, and I hope it's been I hope it's been helpful. It's been good for me. I've I've enjoyed it. And this month, uh, it just so happened that we were having several missionaries in, and so we were kind of going to use this month as like missions month. And so last week we heard from Chris Petty. Next week we'll hear from our Garris Petru, uh, who will be in from I think he's in country now from Greece, and so we'll hear from him. Uh, we look forward to that. And so this week I was going to I'm going to preach a sermon on. Global missions. Next week we will talk about, uh, or two weeks from now we'll talk about uh, local missions or yeah, local missions. So, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Book of Acts. We're gonna. I know Chris last week, as as I had already prepared for this sermon, and and Chris used the passage that I was planning on using for this week, and decided to go ahead and use it. We'll get there in a minute. But I wanted to start by asking the question, what is your purpose? Uh, It's interesting to me that there are many books written about finding your purpose. There are many seminars that are given. There are many uh, podcasts about finding your purpose, finding your passion. Uh, I'm sure that some of you, even this morning, is you, uh, you can't be around Phil too long and not to know that God has connected his purpose and passion together and some of you might be envious um, of that, of, man, this guy's really found what his passion and his, what his purpose are. So I, I want you to be thinking about this morning, what is your purpose? The only example that I could kind of think of, besides the one that I'm going to go to, lead you to this morning, is, um, you know, when I became a father for the first time, uh, fatherhood kind of changed everything. Uh, even if you were to look at a snapshot of my life right now, um, uh, those of you who are single men, don't you have to raise your hand or don't have any children this morning, uh, I'm sure you did not spend eight or nine hours at children youth sporting events yesterday. If you did, there may be another issue that we need to talk about. But not only did I do that, I did that with joy. <laughs> um, and so when, when, when I became a father, it kind of changed my purpose, uh, the, the, and, and it made sense. All of a sudden, things started like clicking into place. Oh, this is changing my life. Today, in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the disciples, in this account got a glimpse of what their purpose was. And, and, and what I think you're going to see, what I hope you see from the text, what I hope I can point out to you, is that the, the purpose of the disciples is the purpose of the church. And as we have talked through this series, the church is not a building. The church is you, or yuns, as we say here in the South. The church is a people, and so... I hope what you can see, and I hope the connection that can be made is that the purpose of these disciples is your purpose purpose as well. Now, if you will go to Acts chapter 1, 
Chris just did an amazing uh, job on this text last week. And uh, he really brought us to and talked with us about um, the, the ends of the earth. And he did a great job exegeting this passage and, and taking us through that. And so today, um, I'm not going there today. I'm wanting you to see, um, I'm wanting to justify uh, the church being involved with global missions. And here's the point, I think. Here's the main point of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And, I, and this is what I'm wanting to uncover in the text with you, is this. The point is this. There's a new day. These men and women in this text, at this time, Jesus was telling them, first of all, there's a new day. Second of all, you have a purpose. You have a work to do. So let's look at the first two verses, and this kind of sets the context for us. The first two verses, uh, God's Word. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up to heaven after He had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. Now, what you need to know is that the author of the book of Acts, Luke, had also written the book of Luke. Man, we're good. Um, And if you were to go to the end of Luke's account, in chapter 24... Uh, verses 49 through 53, listen to this. And behold, this is Jesus, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple giving praise to God. So the context here is that Luke is writing this book and he's saying, I wrote a book, dear Theophilus, in which I wrote to you all the things that Jesus began to say and do. Now I am writing a book that's going to start with Jesus ascending into heaven and tell you the great story about the spread of the gospel. And I'm wanting you to catch the vision of what the church, what you are supposed to be about. And we see that in doing this, that there is a new day. Look at verse 9 in in Acts chapter 1. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. I love this. And they also said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And I think what these angels were saying, I think there would be a temptation in all of us to just stand there and be like, what in the world just happened? Can I get beamed up as well? And the angel is saying, why are you standing here watching? You've been told... What to do next? You have a job to do. Now, look at verse 3. So, uh, Luke is writing here. And uh, look at verse 3. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, 
appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. One of the things I just think is amazing here, have you ever just maybe taken time to thought about, think about the resurrected Jesus was appearing to these men and women, teaching them, instructing them, loving on them, eating with them, communicating with them about things to come, taking them through, drawing connections in the Scriptures of the Old Testament and how they were fulfilled in Himself. Can you even imagine being alive at this time? Sitting, eating, hanging out with the resurrected Jesus. And as He was going getting ready to be uh, ascended into heaven, he gathered them together and he told them, hey, listen, this is a new day. This is a new day. And so what I want you to see is several points in this passage that points to Jesus saying this is a new day. The first is actually, I want to go all the way to verse 8, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, to us, we look back and we're like, oh yeah, that's Pentecost. But to the hearers, to these disciples, what was echoing in their head were probably a couple of things. One was this. This was a part of fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and in Joel chapter 2, there's been given a prophecy about this day that the Israelites were to look forward to when things would be Different, a new day, a new age. In Christ's ministry, especially in the book of John, we have the recordings of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And we hear, hear Him talk about this day when the Holy Spirit will uh, indwell you and will be different than things are now. Again, in verse 9, as he was being lifted up, I'm assuming that one of the things that were ringing in his disciples' mind was that Jesus had told them this. He is saying, he, remember when he told them, I am going away? And what is he going to do? He's going to prepare a place for them so that where he is, they may be also. And so when we get to verse 6, when we get to verse 6, and when we have them asking him, saying, Lord, is it the time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? This is a legitimate question. And this is Luke pointing us to that the disciples understood that something different, something new was occurring, and they went to the end. Is this the time? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Is this the end? The glorious, glorious end. And Jesus' response in verse 7 is this. It's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. It's not that day. But notice that Jesus is pointing them to it is a new day. Do you see it? Jesus had come, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and on the cross, atonement, payment for the penalty of our sins was made 
And it was completed. It was finished. Jesus' physical work on the earth in His physical body was completed. And as He was going to heaven, He is pointing us to this is a new day. I am coming back and I will gather my church with me in a future day. But to you who remain, until that day, this is a new day. Now, the second thing that I think this these verses tell us is that the point of this new day, and this is where our purpose begins to shape forward, and I'm going to use words that are not in this text, but I'm going to point you to where they come from, and I think it's very, very legitimate, and I I think it's important to use these words, that until that new day, until that final day comes, in this day, the day we, we are still inhabiting, We have a work to do, and that work is to build His church. That work is to build His church. Again, we're going to say it over and over and over. I hope you understand what we are not meaning is brick and mortar, but people. Because in that final day, Jesus is going to come and gather His church with Him. And so until that day, we are to be about the business of building the church. Look at verse 4 again. He says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. And what were they waiting for? Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, and I would have you raise your hand, but I don't want to embarrass people. How many of you, when you read the story of the book of Acts, as you read this account, felt like the the apostles went to Jerusalem or were in Jerusalem, they were scared, they were locked in a room, and they weren't coming out because they were fearful. And that's why they were in that room waiting for the Holy Spirit. Did you notice when we read the account in in the book of Luke that that's not what they were doing? That they were joyful? That they were rejoicing? That they were going to the temple and they were uh, waiting. And, and I say this to mean this. These men and women were radically saved, were radically transformed. They were believers. And so when Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait, it's very significant that what we see is not salvation. What we see is Jesus is giving them their purpose. And their purpose was to is that they were to be witnesses. They were to build His church from every nation, from every tongue, and from every tribe. And not only is that the mission, but He also gives them the power. The Holy Spirit. And I'm going to make the case now, and hopefully unfold it a little bit more, that all those who have the Holy Spirit have the same purpose and the same mission because we are in the same age of church building. And so if you are a believer, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and it is your purpose, your responsibility to help build the church. I want to go, the reason I'm using this language, 
I want to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And this is a very common passage that you're all familiar with. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now we know it was not on Peter he was building the church, it was on the confession that Jesus is Lord. And notice as we jump back to uh, Acts chapter 2, as Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, and Peter uh, uh, gives this first sermon at, at the day of Pentecost, I want you to notice something in the middle of his sermon that just fills me with, with joy. In chapter 2, verse 22, Peter is speaking here. He says, Men of Israel, listen to, the word, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of God was you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So not only do we have a purpose? Not only do we have the power, but we also have the message and the declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it's upon this proclamation, in this power, that God is building His church. And we, we are given awesome privilege of being a part of God building His church. This is just amazing to me. This is just amazing. It is mind-blowing. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, Lewis. I think this message was for the disciples only. I mean, you know, as you read carefully here, it was these people, and maybe it was just that little group of people that he was telling this to, and you need to relax on me a little bit because I have other things I need to be about doing. But I want you to notice the movement. We're not going to go all through the book of Acts, but if you were to read the book of Acts, you would notice that in the first seven chapters, um, you have Peter and John doing a lot of work. And then all of a sudden, they, uh, there's all this work to be done, and they bring Stephen in to wait tables, and Stephen proclaims the gospel message and was put to death. But we see Stephen taking up this charge of bearing witness, building the church. And I want you to see the result of that. If you go to chapter 11 in the book of Acts, chapter 11 in the book of Acts, starting in verse 19, 
It says, so that those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. Notice this, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. You cannot read the book of Acts and come away not understanding that the Holy Spirit was empowering men and women to build the church. And you just see in the book of Acts the gospel going and the gospel spreading and the church being built. In just such wonderful, marvelous ways. Let's jump down to verse 27 in chapter 11. Now at this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place uh, in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And as they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and to Saul as an elder. And the elders. And so what we see, just in a real quick glimpse, is that the people were empowered not only to do the work of the church being built, but we also see churches from various reasons, regions taking up contributions to help with the needs of the church. Why? Just to be good neighbors? No, because they knew that God was building His church through the power of the Spirit And they wanted to be a part of what God was doing because it was vital for this day and age. And I think that in our day and time, in the buckle of the Bible belt, there's a danger that has taken place and there's a temptation to lose our focus. There's a temptation to be kingdom focused, but the problem is, is the kingdom is our own kingdom. (laughs) That we're building our own kingdoms, we're building our own ministries. And so the, the forward work of the gospel going and going and going is not what we're looking at. We're looking at our local setting only. And Satan is getting victory from us not being about the purpose that God has called us to be. Notice when the Holy Spirit fell. When the Holy Spirit fell in that room, they didn't close the doors, have a private prayer meeting, and just circle up and sing songs together. When the Holy Spirit fell, they received power and they went out and proclaimed. The role of the Holy Spirit in your life, in our life at Signal Mountain Bible Church, is not to keep it within these walls, but the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to empower us to be a witness at work, at the grocery store, and to the nations. Now, I could keep going on. 
and I would love to keep going on, but I have a responsibility to time here, and I have a responsibility as part of this series to circle back around and give you, okay, what I hope you see is a justification for missions. And again, today we're talking about global missions, and I want to give you just a brief overview of Signal Mountain Bible Church and how missions has been done and how they are being done and how I hope that they will continue to be done. And we, um, and I want to talk about three men here real quick, uh, and, and that's not normal for me to do, but I think it's good for you to know this. And the first thing is this. When I moved in the office that I had, it used to be occupied by, by Tim Shope, and one of the things that I immediately found was a lot of like weird knives and axes and daggers uh, that were from all over the world. Uh, and, uh, and, and one of the things as I was looking through documents and things is that you know God used Tim to really shape our missions program at Single Mountain Bible Church. And his fingerprints are all over documents and things, and we need to be thankful for that. And as, 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 as Tim was no longer here, another man stepped up. And as I came to the church, uh, you couldn't talk about Signal Mountain Bible Church missions and not hear the name Roger Thomas. <laughs> that Roger really stepped in the gap and, and not only held things together, but really helped us help the missions committee to think and to push forward. And, and as Roger was rolling off the elders and as he was getting younger and wanted to use his free time to play basketball and some of the other things Roger was wanting to do. No, just teasing. <laughs> as, Roger was, as Roger was getting old, he, he was like, you know, Lewis, when I roll off the elder board, it's, you know, I'm going to roll off the missions committee. And so uh, we struggled a little bit, but one of the things that we felt like was vital because we felt like our global missions, we feel, we feel like that is so important that we wanted a staff member to be, in, uh, uh, be present. So we wanted a presence of our staff um, in the Global Missions Committee at all times. And so as BJ transitions, that's one of his major jobs, is to make sure that... Um, and think about this for a minute. If we didn't have a permanent fixture there, certain things start to deteriorate potentially, like... Why are some of the policies in place that are in place? What are the policies? There are some that are written, some that are unwritten. <laughs> um, what about knowing our missionaries? You know, if you're constantly just putting new people on the missions committee and others are rolling off, uh, our, mission, our missionaries feel uncared for because they may have no idea who Russ Holmes is as he rolls on to the missions committee. But having a, a presence, having BJ there, one of the things that we're really trying to do is to get him uh, familiar and to get him to visit our missionaries so that we can have that presence. And so it's, it's, it's going well. The goal of our global missions, I just want to, I don't, often, oftentimes don't read this to you, but I want to read this to you. The goal, the purpose of our missions committee is to build awareness of missions overall. This function is the broadest of the three. The missions committee should regularly bring forward reminders of what God is doing in the world at large, whether or not SMBC is directly involved. This function is primarily educational and informative. Number two, to sharpen the church's focus on missions. This function is more specific. The missions committee should be in regular communication with missionaries supported by the church and keep the congregation as a whole updated on their status and needs. And thirdly, to concentrate church resources. 
Working in concert with the pastors and elders, the committee should assist the congregation to be active in support of missions, whether by prayer, by work, or by money. This may take the form of encouraging and organizing short-term missions or special events, providing materials for occasional special emphasis in our services, organizing prayer, and etc. Included in this would be the responsibility for primary screening of mission candidates prior to examination by the elders. Selection of supported missionaries and mission organizations would remain the responsibility of the elders. And so, one of the things... And uh, I know as Phil presented his, uh, as Phil presented this morning, the name of the organization, the missions organization is DNA, and so that's stuck in my head. Uh, because what I have in my notes is that part of our DNA, <laughs> part of our DNA should be this heartbeat for missions. Should be this heartbeat for missions. It should be a non-negotiable for us. That some of the goals should be that, and this is, this is, this is the, the heart of the elders of this church, is that some of you, some of you, by being exposed to the need for the gospel, would go. And that as your elders and as um, the staff here, that we can equip and send you to going. Um, the, if I have this right, the first missionaries that we supported were the Bakers, right? The first missionaries that were sent were the Youngs who are here with us. And our heart would be that that happens more regular than it has. One of the reasons why it's so important to me that we send our kids on overseas mission trips in the summer is that we are praying that God may stir up in you the passion to make His name known to the nations. And that you may choose to use your time in college to sharpen your skills and to equip yourself so that you go. That would just thrill us. The other hope is that we continue to be and we push forward in being a church that supports missionaries, that supports the gospel work. And, and as, I, as I read, our missionaries are carefully vetted. We make sure that they are about um, the church. We make sure that they're about building the church and establishing the gospel in various places. I love the, the breadth of of, of the people we support, you know, the, the, the Hendersons in, in North Carolina uh, they, and the, the Youngs. The Youngs are a little bit of an odd group. The, the Hendersons are stateside, but they're supporting global work. The Youngs are, Fred uh, works in HR and performs vital work to keep these missionaries um, healthy and to keep them on the field and Fred travels all the time, everywhere. <laughs> and so the Youngs, they're here, and we're so thankful. At other times, they've lived over in Thailand, you know, because uh, Fred has some flexibility. But just because Fred's here does not mean that they're not just all in in global missions. And then we have folks that 
seem to be maybe more of the traditional missionaries like the, Pet- the Petties, the Hattons, the Atias. Um, and then you have somebody like Argaris who we'll hear from next week, but who is raising up uh, men uh, to be preachers, to be proclaimers of the gospel, uh, working at a, at a Bible car- college. And then the Sandbergs, uh, who are another odd one, um, in that they are both, uh, uh, both working in a Bible school, but then also have recently planted a church. And God's just doing great things through these missionaries. And I only mention them to say, it is a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. And I want to draw your attention in. And I'm praying this morning that God would just, uh, the Holy Spirit would just maybe deepen your um, commitment to the spread of the gospel. And that in that, maybe the step that you need to take this morning is to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the mission wall that's all the way down, you can't miss it, (laughs) and grab one of the leaflets and really, really begin to pray for these missionaries. All of them would say that is, and, and they don't just say that. You know, sometimes I think we think that's a tagline. But if you talk to any of our missionaries, that is the number one thing they want you to do is to pray for them. They are in hard places, doing hard things, and it is vital that we're praying for them. Vital. And as you're praying for them, really neat things happen. And I want to just name two that have happened over, I think, the past year, year and a half. One is as Chris referenced. Um, uh, th- there was a young girl on the field where they were working, needed a heart valve or she was going to die. And there was a member of our church who saw that, was, had been praying for them, swooped in, orchestrated, really God worked miracles through this thing and saved this girl's life by being able to get her a heart valve. Um, the Sandbergs needed a van. Uh, as some of our folks were praying for them, the need got brought up. People started praying for it. And next thing you know, we were able to buy them a van. Essential things. When we pray, when we pray, it's so vitally important that we, we are praying. And so God may be, God, I hope He is. God may be, the Spirit may be pressing on you to, to be in prayer for these folks. The other thing that may be happening is God may be saying, Hey, you know, And this is, I think, all of us. God's blessed us. God has blessed us. And so it may be that you're wanting to use what God has given you to build His church by financially supporting some of these missionaries. Now, we we support all these missionaries from our general budget. Um, We have a philosophy here. We're going to, as Gary said a few weeks ago, uh, we're going to support fewer missionaries at more significant levels. And there's plenty of reasons for that. But also, you know, what's crazy is that we have no idea what the number is. But um, my heart is really glad when I have missionaries tell me um, who come off the field, number one, how much they feel loved by us, but how many of you individually support them in ways that are just beyond what we're doing as as a local church. And I'm thankful for that. And we just pray that you would get... Uh, more involved in that. Now, I am almost over time. (laughs) The last thing that I want to just kind of advertise, and then uh, two things, I'm lying. One is you may want to be on this missions committee. 
And uh, if, if you would like to be on the missions committee, if you would like to entertain that, talk to BJ. Um, he is right... No, he's not here today. Uh, uh, but uh, talk to BJ, email BJ. He would love to talk to you about being on the missions committee. And the second thing is this. As Gary mentioned earlier, and if the guys are... Do we have the guys that are taking up the missions offering? Ready? Yeah. If you all could come uh, forward. Um, every year at this time... Uh, or around this time, we, uh, and the baskets are here, and men, you can just stay standing. Uh, every year about this time, what we do is we take up a Christmas missions offering. And just to let you know, what happens is that this is, this is kind of above and beyond, and what, what this offering does is we divide it up and send it to our missionaries. Uh, we're going to, hopefully you came prepared. If you're not, it's okay. Uh, you can... Uh, if you want to give cash, just write on an envelope, Christmas offering, put it in the back, and we'll make sure it gets to where it goes. If you, if you want to do a check, just write Christmas offering in the four and put it in the back. And this is just a way, another way we can support our missionaries and let them know how much we love and care for them. So what we're going to do, a little bit different today, I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come forward. We're going to stay seated. <laughs> That's the different part. Um, and then John will close us out um, after we have sung the final verse of the hymn. So let me pray for us.